You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning and so glad to have you. Would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, uh, make sure you bring yours with you because that's what we do here and uh, that's what we are to do here to come to a, uh, a knowledge of and to be equipped by God's word. And if you don't have a Bible, um, you can find one in a basket under the row in front of you, and I encourage you to use it. And if uh, you don't have a Bible of your own, I would love for you to take it home with you, write your name in it, and make it your own, and begin to read it, and bring it with you to church next, next week. Okay? So it's my privilege now to shepherd you in the, uh, into and by God's word and, um, and to feed you with the word of God uh, with, uh, as our flock and, and to guide you by it and uh, as the flock entrusted to my care and, and really to the sheep who are here and who are not part of this flock. If you know what I, what I mean by that, if you know the Lord, um, I pray that you would be drawn deeper into Christ for his glory, for his namesake. I pray that, uh, that you would come to a knowledge and an understanding of Christ, that you would be equipped along with the rest of the saints here in this room. And those who are not his sheep yet, if you are in this uh, place and you are not part of his flock, I pray that God would open your eyes. I pray that he'd open your eyes for you to see who Christ really is and that you would love him and that you would give your life, your whole life to him. And so now before we move into the exposition of our text, before we read, explain, apply the text that we have for today as we continue verse by verse through this book of Luke, uh, before we seek to understand this passage, come to a knowledge of this passage, be equipped by this passage, see the doctrine that arises out of our passage, the one that the Lord has given us today in the book of Luke. Let's simply just recite our corporate memory verse for this month, the month of May. We're just going to recite it. Would you read it aloud together with me just so we can continue to be fresh with it? Ready? Let's read it aloud. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And uh, I, I think about this passage and, and really the, the bliss of this glorious thought, as the phrase goes, right? I pray that you would meditate upon the reality of heaven uh, on a daily basis. Uh, I pray that you would read, repeat, reflect on this passage as our memory verse at least once per day for the remainder of this month. I don't know where you're at in reciting our memory verse, but I pray that you would, you would uh, recite this, reflect on it, repeat it at least once per day for the remainder of this month. And as you meditate on this particular passage, that the Lord would fill your heart with, with the thoughts of heaven, right? That the Lord would fill your heart with a longing for heaven and therefore that you would set your sights on heaven as you live, right? Now, as you live, that you would delight to live a heavenward life and your thoughts would be on the things above. And you would only do things that matter in heaven. That's what your life would consist of. You'd say, I'm gonna be there soon, right? That's where I'm going. And therefore, what I prioritize and what I pursue is directed by my thoughts of being in heaven very soon, right? That it would dictate and direct your thoughts. Well, now let's read our passage that the Lord has given us for today in Luke, Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30, okay? And I pray that the Lord would, would really use this in your life as we make our way verse by verse through the book of Luke. Luke 13, 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And people will come from east and from west and from north and from south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Jesus, these are Jesus' words, not mine. We're just picking up where we left off, taking it verse by verse, and this is what the Lord's given us today. Now, what we're seeing here is Jesus training his disciples to understand the fact that the kingdom will be rejected. Okay? That's what's happening here in this passage. What we're seeing here is Jesus is making clear to his disciples as he's training them that his kingdom will be rejected. His kingdom will be rejected. 
That's the main point of this passage. That's what's being described here. That's the particular doctrine that's being made known here. That's the teaching being made known here. That's the principle that this scripture teaches us. Jesus is making clear to his disciples that his kingdom will be rejected. And not only will it be rejected, but it will be widely rejected. That's why I've titled the message, The Rejected Kingdom. The Rejected Kingdom. And so Jesus is giving them, ready? The right expectation of the nature of the kingdom. And he's giving the disciples a necessary explanation about the nature of the kingdom. A right expectation and a necessary explanation of the kingdom. Now, what do I mean by expectation and explanation? Let me explain. And this is going to make a whole lot of sense in just a little while. So stay with me. If you remember from the beginning of the book of Luke and his gospel until Luke chapter 9, verse 20, Luke is giving testimony after testimony after testimony after witness after witness for the first nine and a half chapters proving that Jesus is God's Christ. He's the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that the Jews were waiting for. And he is God's anointed who will come and establish God's people in God's kingdom. He will bring God's reign and God's rule upon the earth. And his people will be glad about it. They're going to be happy to be under his reign and his rule. And then from 921 to 950, after his identity has been settled as God's Christ, remember he asks Peter, Peter, who do, you, who do the crowd say that I am? Peter, who do you say that I am? Boom, established, identity. We flip the page. We're moving on. His identity has been established. After his identity has been established among his disciples, Jesus then gives them more information that they hadn't yet understood. And that information is that as God's Christ, you believe I'm God's Christ? Yeah, we, we believe it. That's who you are. Okay, what you don't understand is what must happen to God's Christ. So then he moves to to the, to the idea of what will happen to the Christ. Jesus will suffer, he'll be rejected, and he will, what? Die. And they hadn't yet understood what it was that the Christ had come to do. Nor did they understand what it was that the Christ came to actually accomplish, which was to be rejected, to be pierced for the transgression of men. That's what he came to do. To, be recon to, be, to, to reconcile man to God through making atonement for sin, for suffering the death that all men deserved, thereby offering forgiveness through faith in his life and in his death 
and in his resurrection, that would provide entrance for God's people into God's kingdom forever. That those who would come to a knowledge and an understanding of their own sin, agree with God about their sin, turn from their sin to God, trust by faith in the person and sacrifice of Christ for full pardon, and live under his reign and rule, his kingdom, according to his word forever, would be transferred into his kingdom. No longer under the reign and rule of darkness, but under the reign and rule of God himself. Under the reign and rule of God. That's what it means to be in his kingdom. Under his reign and his rule. It means that he's your king. And he would offer this forgiveness for sinners, but he would not only give them forgiveness, he would then give them the forgiven sinner, a new heart. And they would be what is called born again. And they would be instantaneously given the Holy Spirit. And then they would live under his reign and live under his rule for all of time. They would live under his reign and rule and they would be transformed until, uh, uh, to his into his holy people. That's what was going to happen. And listen, after their death, still caused by the curse of sin, they would still die. They would continue their life in Christ and be instantaneously transformed, permanently transformed in the twinkling of an eye as they enter his heavenly kingdom, his permanent kingdom, permanent physical and spiritual kingdom for all the sons and daughters of God. So his disciples, Jesus is telling his disciples about how as God's Christ, he must suffer, be rejected, and die to accomplish all of that. And in that same section, Jesus also gives them more information that they don't know, which is what it will require for his people to follow him. In that same section, he says, you will have to take up your cross daily and follow me if you're going to come after me. This is how one will truly come after the Messiah. This is how you're going to seek him. It's going to be by death to self and life under his reign and his rule in his kingdom. So up to chapter 9, verse 50, you got, he is God's Christ. Here's what must happen to God's Christ. And this is what must be true of those who would come after God's Christ. Now, from 951 on, Jesus sets his face to where? Jerusalem. And the journey to Jerusalem will last from chapter 19, verse 27, through, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 51, through 1927. This is when Jesus will enter Jerusalem. And what was said by Jesus about his suffering, rejection, death, will happen from 951 to 1927. He will journey to Jerusalem until 1928, I think it is, when he will enter Jerusalem. We call that the what? 
triumphal entry, and everything that he said about himself will come to pass. He will be rejected. He will suffer and he will die. Now, along this 10-chapter journey, from 951 to 1927, what is happening is mainly that Jesus is training his disciples. He will, uh, he will train them. They, during this time, they will be trained in their knowledge and in their understanding. During this time, they will be trained in their character. And during this time, they will be trained in their ministry. So from 1951 to 1927, that's what's happening. Jesus is training his disciples. They're going to be trained in their, in their knowledge and in their understanding. Okay, we're, we get this now. Jesus, we're starting to understand. They're going to be trained in their character. And they're going to be trained in their ministry. And as we've seen dispersed among the training intermittently, there's going to be interruptions from the crowds. He's going to deal with the crowds. But mainly... He's training his disciples during this time. Now, as we started in chapter 12, along this time of training, Jesus started a sermon. So we're in the middle of this time of training, 10 chapters from 951 to 1927. Chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus starts this sermon. And along the time of his training, this sermon lasts from chapter 13 uh, until chapter 13, verse 9. And uh, without restating the progression, which is just really clear, like if you just go read that sermon over and over again, you can see how he's progressing through that very clearly, how it all progresses. The, ens the essence, listen, of what Jesus is doing in this sermon, so I'm kind of starting here, and I'm coming, and we're close, we're close to, to what's happening in this passage. But what's happening in that sermon is Jesus is making a clear division, That's the essence of that sermon. He's making a clear division between the religious Judaizers who thought they were right with God and who yet rejected Christ's true entrance into his kingdom as his true disciples and his true disciples. He's making a division. He's separating. That's the essence of that sermon. He's making clear that these Jewish religious leaders and the crowds do not have eternal life. They're outside the kingdom. And it's so clear the reason that he had to do this, right? Think about this. Just think with me, okay? There's this spiritual fog happening right now. There's these blurry lines. They thought they were in, and they're not in, right? By self-righteousness and according to the law. They think they're in the kingdom. You get, you get that? They think they're in the kingdom, and they're not in. And those who are, who are in, those who through faith in God's Son had trusted, trusted in this Christ, trusted as Jesus in the Christ, were subject to the Pharisees for so long that they were confused, thinking that they might not be able to get in. And so these lines are blurry. And at the end of Jesus' sermon in chapter 13, Jesus ends by making it clear that, listen, Israel, the people God sovereignly chose by his grace, were the ones 
who were outside the kingdom. You, you got to understand, this is the context of this. The people God sovereignly chose, graciously chose, were outside his kingdoms. They were the ones who were outside. They were the ones who were rejecting the Christ. They are God's, listen, own fig tree, failing to produce the fruit of repentance and faith. And so to illustrate this, right after the sermon ends, Jesus enters into a synagogue to do mainly what he did, which was teach. He opened the scriptures, he would explain the scriptures, he would apply the scriptures, and he would show how all the scriptures pointed to who? To who? Himself. Jesus was mainly a preacher. And uh, that's what he sent his disciples out to do. And so to illustrate, listen, the rejection that's happening in Israel, to illustrate this, represented by the Jewish leaders, God in his sovereignty places a woman who needs healing into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals her in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the main point of that situation, as Brother David made clear a couple of weeks ago, it isn't the healing. The main point of that message isn't the healing. The point is the indignation the response of the ruler of the synagogue. He wasn't, Jesus heals as the Christ, and this man isn't worshipful. This man doesn't believe. This man doesn't love the Christ. What, is it, what does he do? He gets indignant. He stands in unbelief. This is, listen, this is the epitome of what's happening in Israel right now. He's healing, he's teaching, and they're indignant. He is a representative of Israel. He is, he is showing what's happening right now. He clearly illustrates Israel's hypocrisy and the rejection of the Christ. This was to show proof that what Jesus just taught in the parable of the fig tree was indeed true. By this little encounter, and then some responded, listen, stay with me, in worship. So Jesus follows that little encounter in the synagogue with these words. He says in chapter 13, verse 8, he says, therefore, he said, therefore, meaning, listen, in light of the most recent rejection of the indignation of the ruler of the synagogue, in light of this rejection, let me make clear how my kingdom is going to work, how it's going to grow, how it's going to advance. Listen, in light of the fig tree, my people rejecting me, in light of this indignation of this ruler in the synagogue, the epitome of Israel during this time, let me explain to you clearly. This is the perfect opportunity to explain to you clearly how my kingdom is going to grow because they're confused as to why people are rejecting this kingdom. He essentially says, which was made clear by Josh Miller, is that my kingdom is going to be rejected by many. Disciples, you gotta understand this. My kingdom is going to be rejected by many. It's going to be accepted by few, but it will advance. And this is how he sovereignly decrees his kingdom to grow. Not everyone will accept my reign. Not everybody will accept my rule. Let me make sense of this barren fig tree and this indignation of this religious leader for you, disciples. He said, therefore, my kingdom 
will start small. It will be rejected by many. It will be accepted by few. He's making sense of the rejection of Israel for the disciples. He is training them in the fact that his kingdom will be widely rejected. Many will reject it. It will start small with me, one man. It will move on to the 12. It will then move on to the 70 or 72. It will then move on to the rest of Israel. Illustrated by Peter's sermon in Acts, when 3,000 souls are saved. It will then move on to the Gentiles. And it will eventually move on to the ends of the earth, earth until all God's elect are saved. And this is what it says. It will go from Jerusalem to Judea and to the ends of what? The earth. He's making sense of this for the disciples. My kingdom, my reign upon the earth will expand as individuals are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based upon the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. He will come and reign and rule in individual hearts. And as he does so in more and more hearts, his kingdom will grow. But they are to understand that it will be rejected by many, accepted by few. Now, in the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, and moving into our text, this is all in light of Israel's rejection. It's all in light of the rejection of the kingdom, and he's making sense of it for his disciples. He's training his disciples to understand this rejection. He is training his disciples to understand the nature of the kingdom. So he's giving them right expectation of the kingdom. And he is giving them necessary explanation of the kingdom. That's what's happening. The kingdom is going to be rejected. Listen, listen. Accepted by few will advance, but it's starting small and growing large. You ready? Let's put this in their world for a second and in your world. Meaning, you must have the right expectation that many will reject the kingdom. Listen, few will accept it, but it will grow steadily and it will grow firmly until it advances to the ends of the earth with true worshipers, true believers, those who understand their sin, those who understand their sin and truly trust in Christ, right? The disciples must have the right expectations of the kingdom as they go out to evangelize the world, as they make disciples, As believers are made and as they gather and then they start new churches, which is what the disciples are going to do, they must have the right expectations. This is what Jesus is telling them here. He's making sense of Israel's rejection, the barren fig tree, the indignation of the ruler. He says, therefore, listen, my kingdom's going to start small, but it's going to grow, but it's going to be rejected by many and accepted by few. This is the right expectation to have, disciples. They can't be discouraged when they go out and they share this gospel and it's rejected by many. They can't be discouraged. Nor can they think something strange is happening. They they shouldn't think, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe this isn't true. Why isn't this working? Maybe Jesus wasn't true. Maybe he's trained us wrong when he sent us out. Maybe he trained us wrong and, and now he's forsaken us. Maybe we should forsake this and wait for another Messiah. Maybe we feel dumb and foolish. Maybe the world is right and our message is wrong. You see, he's going to ascend really soon. 
You understand this? He's months away right now from his death, burial, and resurrection. Months. He's going to ascend soon. And his disciples are going to be left there. And you got to take your mind and put it in their mind. If he doesn't tell them this, what happens when this gospel that they go and preach is rejected by many, accepted by few? Yeah. Full doubt that he has to train them to understand what's happening here and what to expect. You see, he was going to ascend. And then who was he going to commission? The disciples who were going to bring his gospel forward. They would be particularly vulnerable to this discouragement if they didn't have the right expectations. People are not going to flock to this. Not everyone is going to believe. Sinners will fail to produce the fruit of repentance. They will display the reality of indignation. It will grow slowly. It will start small. It will be hidden. There will be those who make nests in its trees, but never attached to the vine. You can't be disheartened. You can't be disillusioned. You can't be discouraged. And when they're rejected, when they're persecuted, when they're killed, when they're lied about, when they're made to look foolish, when they're discredited, when they feel inferior to the world, when their family laughs at them and tells them they're being too extreme, when the world cancels them, when the world is outraged, when their church isn't growing, when they're the least of all the peoples on the earth, when their ministry seems unproductive, when they go to some remote location to reach the unreached of the world and they see no fruit for 40 years, when their neighbors reject the gospel, when they walk the streets with the, with the good news and yet people act like it's bad news, they can't be disillusioned. They can't be discouraged. They can't turn away from the truth. They can't act in unbelief. They can't act like something strange is happening. They must know God's people will start small. This message will be rejected, but it will multiply and it will advance through hidden and unseen means. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses six through eight. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Watch this. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That is true for Israel and that is true for those who are in Christ. All God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. That's why you can take Old Testament promises and you can apply them to you in Christ. This is true of you. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the what? Fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore with your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and has redeemed you from the house of slavery. They have to have the right expectations of the, this kingdom. So many people, this is so relevant. So many people. Think, man, if, if the ministry's really working, we would just be exploding with people. No, if the ministry's really working, you would be rejected by many and accepted by few. This is the right expectations to have. And can I tell you something? You might not see the value of this passage, but I, I, let me tell you how valuable this is. How in the world would you know that this is the nature of your gospel sharing, your evangelism? How would you not be discouraged? How would you still stick with the gospel when you're out sharing the gospel and it's rejected by many? How do you not doubt that this thing works or doesn't work or is right or isn't right? Why do you not doubt that? 
when you're persecuted, when you're rejected, when people treat you wrong because of the gospel. You want to know why you don't doubt? Because of this passage. If this passage wasn't here, you would be wondering what's happening when your gospel is rejected. And passages like this, that's why the Bible gives them to us. This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples right now. You want to make sense of the barren fig tree, the indignation of the religious, the, the synagogue ruler, the starting small. Let me tell you, this, God, this kingdom is going to start small. It's not going to be accepted by many and it's going to grow steadily and firmly, but slow and hidden. It's not going to look like it's winning. Right? This is what he's doing. This is what he's telling them. His elect will be reached. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth, to the nations, and his disciples must trust that by faith. They must continue in his training, must obey his great commission, must trust him firmly, not relying on sight, but relying on faith. They can't be surprised when people don't flock to be saved. When many don't respond, when the masses don't come, in fact, that is more like God's people. Because think about this, the message is not accepted to the natural man, to the world. Of course, this will not be accepted. If the message is made more acceptable to the natural man, then what happens? It's more what? Accepted. If it becomes me-centered, if I get what I want through Jesus, health, wealth, prosperity, of course the masses will respond to that. Of course they'll flock. A worldly institution, uh, institution offering what the world wants, what the natural man wants. But you would expect a foreign message from another nation, namely a heavenly nation, a message from a different kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, that indicts man because of their sin, calls man to repentance from the pleasures of sin, come under the reign and rule of God in holiness, you would expect that message to be rejected. Unless God intervenes and shows you the riches that come along with that. The heavenly riches. He doesn't only say, take up your cross and follow me, die to yourself, repent of your sin, trust in me, come under my reign and rule. He also says, if you do, you will have riches forever and I will be with you and I will help you and I will aid you. And this will be more fulfilling than any other purpose that you could have in your whole life. Right? So he's calling these people to have open eyes, knowledge of the truth, the world to the world. This is an offensive message. It's going to be widely rejected. Look at this. First Corinthians chapter two, verses 13 through 14. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are what? The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for their folly to him. He's unable to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So they must have the right expectation of the, of the kingdom. The advancement of God's kingdom through Christ will grow slowly, silently, steadily, but it is growing, rejected by many, accepted by few. You must have the right expectations. And can I tell you, I think this is why the nations still aren't reached. This is the missiological explanation as to why there are people groups still left unreached in the world the missiological explanation to, as to why it will take time to reach them because it's going slow. 
Hearts will reject this. This isn't readily accepted by the world. And during this time, while it's rejected, God is using this evil, the rejection of his gospel for good because it's allowing more time for people to repent and believe. Second Peter three, do not overlook the fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So they can't be surprised when the world doesn't accept us. This is tempting, okay? This is tempting to be discouraged, to be discouraged. And if you're like me, you say, well, I know that this message is right. Why wouldn't they be accepting it? And this is what the disciples must be protected from. So Jesus is training them, right expectations of his kingdom. You too must have the right expectations. His kingdom will advance. His glory will reign. His gospel will be preached. People will worship. Every knee will bow one day. Every tongue will confess one day. But in this world, it will be widely rejected because of sin, unbelief, darkened hearts who are blind to the truth. Romans 11 says this, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Romans 1.18 says, by their unrighteousness, they what? Okay, so this is what's happening. This is just the right expectations, okay? So we must have the right expectations. We must have the right expectations. You must have the right understanding because this is what it teaches us. How will you not be discouraged when your gospel is rejected by your family, by your friends, by your neighbors, by your coworkers, by the people at the gym. How will you not be discouraged? Because you'll remember this passage. Now I'm setting all of this up, okay? And uh, we're just touching on two verses today. So if you're wondering where we're going, just stay with me. Listen, the rejection of the kingdom, the advancement of the kingdom, that's what we've learned so far. This is how the disciples would be to know. Now, from this expectation, Jesus offers an explanation, and that moves us into our text. I took a long time to set this up because this is going to be two parts. We're going to cover only verses 22 through 24 today. Normally, I want to get into the text as soon as possible, but this, listen, preachers, don't take your cues from this message, okay? Preachers in the room, don't do what I just did. But you got to understand this whole context for us to be able to move into this. Now we move into this explanation, and I want to prove to you, stay with me, listen, I want to prove to you that this is the main point. Jesus is telling them about the rejection. He's training them about the rejection. They're making sense of the rejection. I want to, I want to prove to you that this is the main point of what's happening here. Look at chapter 13, verses, verse 23. We're about to, about to get into this text for just a few minutes. Verse 23, look at this. And in response to everything I just told you, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Ah, you see it? That's what he's been trying to tell them. Through the fig tree, the illustration of the indignant ruler, the direct follow-up of the explanation of the mustard seed and the leaven, he starts there for, and he says, this kingdom is gonna grow slow. It's gonna be rejected by many. And they say here, Lord, is this, is, what, is this what you're trying to tell us? Is this what you're trying to say? That those who receive this kingdom will be few? That's, what, that's how this is gonna grow? 
Is that what you've been trying to tell us? Is that what you're giving? Is that what you're giving the right expectation for? Many will reject this. Few will accept this. And your kingdom's going to grow slow. But this message is right. It's true. You are the Christ. Why wouldn't Israel, who is waiting for the coming Messiah, flock to this message? Listen, disciples, let me give you the right expectations. Is this what you're saying, Jesus? That this is going to grow slow? Let me give you more proof that this is right. Because look at verse 31. The title of that section is called what? Lamenting over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, if you would have accepted my kingdom. Right expectations, rejection of the kingdom by Israel. That's what's happening here. So verse 30, I want you to look at this. Verses 29 and 30. He talks about the kingdom some will not enter the kingdom, verse 28. Some will enter the kingdom, verse 29, right? Outs those outside of Israel. So this is what he's talking about here. He's training his disciples to have the right expectation. Let's move into the division of this matter for just a few minutes. Verses 22 through 24, we're gonna divide into two headings, okay? Number one, the question about the acceptance of the kingdom. Number one. The, the question about the acceptance of the kingdom and two, the reality of the rejection of the kingdom. This is, uh, this is just what he's doing here. He's talking about the kingdom. We see that from the end of this passage. He's making clear about the kingdom. People will reject the kingdom. Then he's gonna graft in the Gentiles into his kingdom. He's lamenting over Jerusalem, over Israel, who's rejecting this kingdom. He's made clear that his kingdom will be widely rejected, barren fig tree, indignant ruler, mustard seed and leaven. And he's training his disciples now in this passage. And here's just the progression of these first four verses. 22, 23, 24, three verses. Gotta learn how to count here. So let's take these one at a time for the next 15 minutes, okay? Number one. And it's all just making clear the main point, which we've already discussed. So it's not telling you anything new. It's just making it clear. Number one, the question about the acceptance of the kingdom. Verses 22 through 23a. He went on his way through the towns and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So he's talking about the kingdom still. Look down at verse 28. Right? He's talking about how people will not, his, his people will not be in the kingdom. Verse 29, he's saying that those outside Israel will come into the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom here still. And then he talks about Jerusalem, Israel not, not entering. And he says, this passage starts with saying this, verse 22, look at this, ready? He, meaning Jesus, went on his way through the towns and villages. He went on his way. Listen, stay with me. We're just in this passage now. He went on his way with his disciples through towns and through villages. And undoubtedly, what they are witnessing now is the reality of his recent teaching. The teaching on the rejection of the kingdom, the wide rejected, widely rejected kingdom, the few accepting the kingdom. They're watching this now as they're going through these towns and villages. He just taught them on it. 
And now they're watching these, this teaching become true, come to pass, watching it play out. They're seeing evidences and proof that this is true. And this is why Luke puts this here, to keep with this theme, to further play out what Jesus had been teaching them. They're watching the reality of what's going on through the lens of what Jesus just taught them. And that's, what's hap- that's what happens to us, right? When you come to an understanding of God's word, you begin to define things the way that his word defines things. So they saw this widely accepting, reject, uh, widely rejected kingdom by, the, by Israel this whole time. But now that Jesus has taught them about this, they're starting to define it, put definition to it, understand it. It's like you just saying of your kids, oh, they're just acting up, right? Until you read the Bible and it calls that acting up sin. And then it says that it will lead them to death. And then it tells a parent to discipline and to train and to require obedience and honor. And now all of these things that you just thought have definition to them. Jesus' disciples are now starting to see the reality of this rejected kingdom play out as he's walking with them. They didn't know how to define it. Define it. They didn't understand the truth behind it. They didn't have categories to put this in. And then they begin to rightly understand this view, this understanding The disciples have understanding now, the definition now. It says that they were teaching. Look at this, verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages doing what? Doing what? Look at it. Teaching. What do you think he's teaching about? The kingdom. So he's just taught them this kingdom's going to be widely rejected, mainly by Israel. And now they're going out and about through towns and villages, teaching on the kingdom And guess what's happening? It's being rejected. Just like he said it was going to. But now they're able to identify it when before they didn't understand. And so he's teaching about the kingdom. He's calling people to enter the kingdom through God's Christ. And it's clearly being rejected. And all that Jesus had told them we're now seeing proof of. They are now seeing what he said indeed be true. They are witnessing it, observing it in real life, which prompts them to ask this question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Are we perceiving this rightly? Is that what you're trying to tell us? Are we understanding this correctly? Make sense of this for us. Is this what's happening? Is that how this is ultimately going to work? It says that they're still journeying to Jerusalem. So we know this is still a time of training of his disciples. His death, his resurrection are just months away. And at this point in training, he is training them particularly in the fact that they must have the right expectations of the nature of the kingdom. And now he's going to offer an explanation. It's going to be few who believe your message, few who receive the truth, few who accept God's Christ, few who are chosen, few who are willing to leave their lives and follow me because of their sin. Have the right expectation. Disciples, don't be discouraged. Keep praying. Keep sharing. Keep going. Which leads to this explanation, a very clear explanation in verse, starting in verse 23. Be And then um, he's going to offer further explanation about this rejected kingdom in verse 25, starting next week with a parable. But right now, explicit teaching explanation on this rejection. So we move to number two, 
the reality of the, reject, the rejection of the kingdom. So he starts, this starts with this question. This is how these, this text makes clear this point that he's training his disciples about the rejected kingdom. And the way it makes it clear is first by their question and then by his answer. This is just bringing to light the reality, the truth, the teaching of this text. Verse 22, or 23b through 24, look at it. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So what's his answer? Jesus, is this what you've been trying to tell us? Those who are saved will be few? And his answer is essentially yes. But he chooses to say it differently. He offers an explanation with it. This is the way that Jesus chooses to answer their question. Many will seek, but will not enter. Few will find. He's answering their question. He's just saying, yes, you're right. You're, you're perceiving rightly. You're interpreting the, the parable of the barren fig tree, the indignation of the ruler, the leaven and the mustard seed. And now us going out and seeing all this rejection, you're interpreting it all rightly. Let me answer your question with a yes, but let me offer some explanation because Jesus often doesn't answer the question like it's asked, but he answers the question with what they need to truly know, right? So he says, many will have, will have some surface desire to enter the kingdom. He's offering explanation as to why now this kingdom is widely rejected, okay? So your theology based is built right now on the rejection of God's kingdom, if we were to put God's kingdom as a doctrine, you would say subpoint number one, widely rejected. Subpoint number two, few, I want to say fewly, that's not a word, accepted, right? And this is what he's offering them. They have the right expectation. Here's the explanation. Many will have some surface desire to enter the kingdom. They're not going to be able to do so. And those who do enter, please listen close. Those who do enter will do so with difficulty. Many will have some surface level desire to enter the kingdom, but will not be able to do so. And those who do enter will enter with difficulty. Literally, they will have to fight their way through this narrow door. That's why it's being rejected. Salvation will be difficult in some senses, which again pushes back against today's easy believism. A little gospel presentation at the end of a message which takes the gospel out of the greater storyline of God, puts it in the world of man, and then allows people to simply add Christianity to their other earthly gods. Allows self to still be their God with Christianity just as another means to serve them. Easy believism, exact opposite of what Jesus is saying here. So people in America can have the God of their job for wealth, the God of the mirror for self-praise, and they can have Jesus for their sins. All taken care of. Say a prayer, you're in. 
Then let's give you false assurance by celebrating this false conversion and further damning the person more because now they see no need to reconsider the gospel more deeply. They think they're already in. And Jesus is saying, this will be right, widely rejected because you're going to have to fight to get in and they will not be willing. Why is, are you saying, Jesus, that this is gonna be accepted by few? And he says yes by telling them that. Those who would enter are gonna have to fight to get in and they're not willing to do so. He's offering them the right expectation as they go out and preach the kingdom and now he's giving them a proper explanation of why that's happening. Many will have some surface level desire to enter the kingdom. Jesus answers the question essentially with yes, you're perceiving rightly, you understand my teaching rightly, but again, he offers explanation. First, explicit, clear teaching, then a parable, which we'll start next week. He says this, just look with me. We're gonna, just, we're gonna explain these words now, word by word through this verse in a sense until we're done. He says, strive. The translation is a form of the verb agonizami, which we get the word, which is where we get the word, take a guess, agonize. The word is only found in the gospel and it's the only place that it's used and it means to fight. It means to compete. It means to struggle. And the fight that he's referring to is self-denial repentance from sin, recognition of sin, continual belief, unwavering belief, lasting belief, true admit, a, a, a truly admitting the sinful condition of your own heart and your need for righteousness. It takes a denial of all self-righteousness before God. It requires a denial of sin. It requires childlike, foolish faith in the merit of Christ alone. And this is what the religious leaders are missing. This is what the crowds are missing. This is what Israel's missing. This is the right expectation and this is the right necessary explanation. He's saying many will reject my kingdom. They won't be willing to acknowledge their sin. They won't be willing to acknowledge me as God's Christ. They won't be willing to unload the baggage of self-righteousness and spiritual hypocrisy and the love of the praise of man to fit through this narrow door. They're not gonna let go of their bags. And it's too wide, it's too narrow for them to enter through this door if they don't drop their bags. Of self-righteousness, the love of the praise of man, spiritual hypocrisy, which is more concerned about being clean on the outside than being clean on the inside. They're unwilling to unload all of that to enter through this narrow door. That is to say that they won't be willing to let go of the luggage in their hands because they're descendants of Abraham, the self-righteousness of the law. Jesus Christ is this narrow door, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. They won't get through that door with self still at the center. This is the only door 
and they're unwilling to receive it. This is what he's saying. This is, a, this is what's happening. He's talking about Israel here. But this is true of us and our culture and, and those who reject Christ. They will instead choose the broad gate, the one that they can fit into as they are with their luggage of self, not having to give up self, still getting what they love and what they want. It will take striving to enter through the narrow door. That is, it will take faith in Christ. It will take denial of self. And they're not willing to go there. This is why the kingdom will be rejected. This is why it will grow slowly. This is why Israel has rejected him. This is why the indignation of the synagogue ruler, this is why it will start small. This is why he laments over Jerusalem. It's a narrow door and they're unwilling to enter into it. Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it by it are what? Many. You want to know where the many are going to be and the few are going to be? American Christianity has totally reversed this. I mean, the fact that we got, you know, 300 people coming in here on a Sunday who are serious about the word of God, this service and next, I love that. It's a little remnant in the kingdom because you know what? Everyone who comes through this door is or eventually becomes, if they stay, serious about their faith in Christ. It doesn't mean that God doesn't grow the kingdom. He's going to, but this is the nature of it. Many will reject it. Few will accept it. For the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. They're unwilling to enter the kingdom this way. He says, strive. Why? He, they, Jesus, are you saying the few are going to be saved? Let me tell you. He answers the question with a yes, but totally different than what they would expect. Strive to enter through the narrow door. It's going to take fighting, agonizing, continual belief. It's going to take you fighting for the rest of your life. What are you going to do when your sin becomes more tempting than Christ? What are you going to do when your family rejects you? What are you going to do when the world looks really tempting? What are you going to do when you feel foolish because of your faith? Are you going to still hold on to Christ to the end of your life? That's going to be the fight that determines your eternity because it will be the proof of your salvation or the lack thereof. That's why many aren't entering. Matthew 19, Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. A rich person, you can enter that kingdom, but it's going to be difficult because you want to know what you're going to need to do? Treasure Christ above your riches. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. We're almost done, a couple minutes. He gives them the right expectation, then he gives them the necessary explanation. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Or the reason for which yourselves should strive, fight, is because many will not accept it. This is what it will take, and they're unwilling to fight for it. This is why this is happening. Many, I tell you. I tell you is an emphatic statement. 
So when he said, he could have just said many will try to come through this narrow door and won't make it, won't be able to. Many, I tell you, when he does that, that adds emphasis. Many, I tell you, this is, this is how it's going to be. We'll seek to enter. We'll have some surface level desire to reap its benefits. We'll sit in its branches to have the results, but they will not be able to. They will refuse to come on his terms. They will refuse to make him their God. Self-righteousness and the praise of man, self-indulgence, all the same. We'll, they won't be able to get past their sins or themselves. Look at this, John 5. We're done. Let me just show you a couple of things. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The answer is you can't. If you value what man and the world says about your life more than you value being right with God, you can't. You can't believe. Only when you fight to place justification by faith in him and eternal life with Christ come under his reign and rule. Only when you place that as your top priority, you're gonna have to fight. Many in Israel will think they're in because of their lineage. Proverbs 1 says this, because I have called and you refuse to listen. This is the story of Israel. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. So church, to close, Jesus is training his disciples to understand the fact that his kingdom will be rejected. He's making it clear. They're to have the right expectations. They're gonna be called his ambassadors. They're gonna go out for the kingdom. They're gonna try to advance the kingdom and they're gonna wonder why his kingdom is being rejected. And he's gonna say, this is the right expectation. And then let me tell you the right explanation as to why that's happening. And so this is mainly for the disciples. So let me tell you for you, don't be discouraged. Don't be disillusioned. Be heartbroken. Be heartbroken. But don't be discouraged and don't be disillusioned. You're gonna seem foolish. You're gonna be lied about. People are going to talk poorly of you. You're going to be the least on the earth. People are going to reject it. Your family will reject it. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people in this community will reject your message. But you continue on in confidence, knowing that this is what Jesus told his disciples would happen. He's training them in this. And you know why. It's because of sin. And because people are unwilling to, to give up their sin for Christ. And then you remain heartbroken and prayerful as you continue to share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this word, not what I said, but what you say. And just take these words by your grace. Your grace is sufficient to make up for all the areas of my lacking and my weaknesses. I pray that you would take this word. Thank you for giving the word to the disciples to make, for, you're so wise to make sense of this rejection for them so that as they go out as your ambassadors, they would have the right expectations of this kingdom. They wouldn't be disillusioned or discouraged. And when you ascend and you're gone, they wouldn't turn back but they'd be willing to die for the sake of your gospel because they have the right expectation.
And God, thank you for offering us this explanation that we can put definition to it. It's because this door is narrow. This way few will find because of sin. Many will be unwilling and unable to unload their self, their love for man and its praise, the love for the world to enter through this narrow, narrow door. It's not that the message isn't true. It's that sin is real. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be unwavering as we go out and share the gospel, that we'd be unafraid, that we wouldn't be discouraged when our neighbors think poorly of us, look down upon us because of our message and are rejecting it, that we'd continue sharing it and desperately praying for them to be willing to unload the baggage of their sin and see you, Christ, for who you are. Help us to be people who have resolve because of this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.